Okay, first things first. We've had a big, big rally in stocks over the last six weeks. Now, we thought this was likely back in late June, early July. We published our thoughts with our July 1st video, Opportunity Knocks Early. However, from here, the indicators say we should expect a couple of months of waffling around before the markets decide its true intention, which is potentially upward. Okay, on to this video. Many economists and strategists were early to make comparisons to the 1970s. How early? Some people have been parroting this stuff for over five years. See the writing of hedge fund icon Ray Dalio of Bridgewater. He started writing about this in early 2017. Has this analogy helped anyone who's been investing for the last five years? No. Well, at least not until the first half of 2022. I'm part of Generation X. We were born between 1965 and 1980. Our generation vaguely remembers the 1970s. We remember gas lines as children and recall our parents being mad about not being able to get 15% on their CDs anymore. We're part of what I've deemed the irrelevant generation. Others are more kind calling us a transitional generation. There are over 65 million Gen Xers in America. We're wedged between the massive but now declining baby boomer demographic who is older than us. And on the other side is the millennials and Gen Z tsunami whose numbers total almost 140 million combined. This group under the age of 45 to 50 will take control of America's economic and political path over the coming decade. It's just the math. It's just a numbers game. As Thanos said in Marvel's Infinity Wars, I'm inevitable. Gen Xers grew up as children in the 1970s and mid 1980s. We grew up in a time of shifting societal values. We were dubbed the MTV generation growing up on new media technology, cable TV. We grew up on ESPN, CNN, and TNT. We were the first generation to grow up on video games for entertainment and computers for education. However, we were characterized by our elders, baby boomers, as slackers and cynical. Stop for a minute and think. Doesn't this sound a little familiar with today's talks about millennials and Gen Z? Hey, I'm just saying, like all generations, many of our influencers were new music talents. Elton John and Led Zeppelin in the 1970s, followed by disco, punk, and heavy metal in the 1980s. Politically, we experienced the last days of communism and a transition globally towards capitalism, democracy, conservatism, and free market economics. I know you're asking yourself, hey, Chris, how does this all connect? Where are you going with this? The first half of 2022 is behind us. It was abysmal for the markets. As our team had expected, we suffered the first true correction since the COVID crash in the first quarter of 2020. However, we also extended that downward to the first minus 20% bear market drawdown in years. Now, we didn't expect that severe of a first half downturn. But the question now is, now what? What's in store for the second half of 2022 in the first half of 2023. Are the lows in for 2022? And is it really a replay of that 70s show? And if so, where are we in the 1970s? I'm Chris Paris with Oak Harvest Financial Group in Houston, Texas, and welcome to our weekly Stock Talk podcast, keeping you connected to your money. Before we get into this week's topic, the first part of what does the rest of 2022 look like, or let me steal from the 1970s band Chicago, 
where do we go from here, please take a moment to click on the subscribe button and click on the notification bell so you will be alerted when our team uploads our latest content. Much of this week's and next week's video will be part of Friday, August 19th's YouTube live stream our team is doing on the second half market outlook. Take a moment and pre-register if you're interested. Okay, are the stock market lows in for the year? Is this year's correction in bear market decline behind us and in the rear view mirror for good? Was June 16th the low for the stock markets for 2022? Those are the questions almost on everyone's mind. Are the markets acting a lot like the 1970s this year? Yes, a little bit, with both high inflation and negative stock market returns in the first half. What year? 1974 to be exact, the same year Elton John released his classic, The Bull Is Back. Well, his title was a bit different. It had a different five-letter B word. And while no one, including myself, can say with absolute certainty that yes, the lows are in for the year, we first presented our case for this on July 1st with our video release, Opportunity Knocks Early. The data has been saying that yes, there's a good odds that it was the bottom this year. Viewers and listeners, unless you think we're on the verge of another 2008 great financial crisis or a 2000 dot-com bubble collapse, which we don't, the data is aligned and it's saying the worst is over. The correction in the bear market of 2022 is in the rear view mirror. I remind you though, that while we do think June 16th was the low for the year, 2022 still doesn't look like a V-bottom year. We expect a few more months of uncertainty, volatility in the overall markets throughout the third quarter. However, while we expect more monthly volatility throughout the year, it should be much calmer than the first half. In addition, we expect the buy the dip institutional crowd to re-enter the market on moves down of only three to five percent. With leading inflation indicators currently headed south, if the Fed chooses not to ruin the fourth quarter consumer party, the S&P 500 could recover to nearly flat on the year, which is in the range of 46.50 to 47.50. Exiting the year with positive momentum and sentiment on the way to 5,100 plus for the first half of 2023, which would be a new all-time high. All of these moves would be fairly standard for a midterm election year. Frequent viewers and listeners will recognize many of the charts that I'll be using as background material, but here goes. Let's start off this presentation talking charts and technicals. Let's talk about the chart of the S&P 500 first. That's the one everyone cares about. Remember, the price of any asset is just supply and demand. Yes, investors weigh thousands of variables at any given time, but in the end, regardless of the Fed, regardless of politics, regardless of earnings, volatility, wars, famine, and regardless of inflation, price is determined by supply and demand. Here's the monthly chart of the S&P 500 going back 23 years. There are two moving averages on the chart, the 20 and the 50 month moving average. Since the great financial crisis in 2008, 2009, the market has fallen to the 50 month moving average six times the most recent being June 16th of this year. Each time, including the most recent, the S&P 500 has regained its 20-month moving average within three months. The S&P 500 is now above both these levels. It closed the month of July strongly and quite bullishly. And as one can see, 
unless you think we're in the great financial crisis round two or dot-com bubble part two history, this cycle would say we can rally and approach a flat year for 2022 by year end. Let's call that 4650 to 4750. Beyond that, a move on to new all-time highs in the first half of 2023 would be likely. This would be in line with our first half 2021 outlook titled Curb Your Enthusiasm Yields to a Bull Market Buy we released late last year. Currently, we still think we could see the S&P 500 peak near 5100 to 5150 in the first half of 2023. Take a look at the chart on the technology-heavy NASDAQ composite. This picture looks very similar, and it should since the largest stocks in the S&P 500 are now largely technology, communications, and internet consumer stocks. Much has been made that we're in the midst of round two of the internet bubble popping. This chart would say that statement is doubtful and highly questionable. I can make the same or better case that we're just setting up like the fourth quarter of 1998, just prior to the last 18 month wave up in the internet bubble. How similar? Well, in the summer of 1998, the NASDAQ swooned and tanked 35.65% in only four months, only to regain its monthly moving averages and head materially higher for another 18 months. Similarly, this year, the NASDAQ composite tanked minus 35% in about six months, and now has regained both its monthly moving averages. The second topic we'll discuss is interest rates. Not the short-term interest rate that the Federal Reserve controls, but interest rates measured in real time. This one is real interest rates. Some people call this tip spreads. Some other people call this the real yield. This isn't the one people talk about on TV. You add the market pricing of inflation to the real yield or tip spread, and what you get is the nominal yield, which everyone quotes on TV. You get the 10-year treasury yield that is the starting point for most mortgages. This real yield is perhaps the single most important chart you'll see. Why? Because the real yield is the one used to calculate equity risk premium, which translates almost directly into PE multiples and stocks. Take a look at the 10-year real interest rate chart over the last two years. Let that chart sink in. Remember that the real yield controls the overall PE ratio of the market, and for the 2022, the PE of the S&P dropped from around 22 times earnings to around 16 times earnings at its lows. The market PE compressed 27%, and the S&P 500 dropped about how much peak to trough? Well, that was a little over minus 24%. Almost the entire drop in the market in the first half was valuation compression. Overall, the stock market went generally higher all of 2021. Throughout most of 2021, every speculative four-letter tech name went higher. Not coincidentally, this ended when the Federal Reserve started talking about tightening financial conditions in late November 2021. Since then, the 10-year real yield rose almost weekly until spot on June 16th when the Fed announced their first 75 basis point increase in rate since November 1994. Since that meeting, the trend in real yields has been down and the trend in the stock market has been up. What has been the best performing group since June 16th? Well, those have been the growth areas of the stock market, technology, healthcare, consumer discretionary, 
and growth in any price stocks as overall nominal interest rates have also declined. The worst performing groups? Those have been the short cycle value plays. What are those? Energy and materials. With so much of the S&P 500 weighted towards technology, discretionary, and growth areas, the overall market needs to continue to see at least stable real rates, if not declining, to continue its recovery in the second half of this year. Our third topic is market volatility. Year to date, the volatility of all asset classes have made many retirees and other investors anxious while making short-term traders very happy. See, short-term traders love quick and rapid moves. While presenting greater long-term opportunity for investors, most retirees like gentler price moves. We previewed way back in November of 2021 that the first half of 2022 was likely going to be a sloppy, choppy, volatility-filled mess. We couldn't tell you exactly why, but the tea leaf said, curb your enthusiasm, which was the title of our first half 2021 market outlook. No, no one has the Wizard of Oz perfect crystal ball. However, we do have some tools that historically work pretty well at looking forward. What are those signs saying for the second half of 2022 when it comes to volatility? While still higher than most investors would welcome, our indicators are saying overall market volatility for the second half should be lower, not higher. Hopefully, music to investors' ears and to their watching their accounts way too frequently. For the first time since last November, there are hopeful signs of volatility clouds clearing. Our team often talks about future volatility in the markets, not the spot VIX index, which most other people reference. We focus on forward volatility. It's a real tradable tool and financial instrument, not a mouth calculation like spot VIX. These forward volatility tools are tradable and are used to hedge big institutional portfolios. Take a look at forward volatility chart four months out into the future. As you can see, since late fourth quarter of 2021, this chart has been up and to the right. It has made higher highs and higher lows each wave until, yes, that exact same week in June, June 14th to be precise, when it peaked. Forward volatility stopped making higher highs for the first time in 10 months. And then in mid-July, volatility broke to the downside. This is bullish. No, this doesn't mean volatility is gone for the rest of the year. It doesn't mean we immediately return to the boring economic cycle and bull market like 2017. However, what it should mean is that future volatility spikes will likely be sold and dips in the stock market in the second half will likely be bought. Okay now, so what do we think the signal for all clear volatility will collapse and FOMO, fear of missing out, has returned? Look no further than the move index. We've discussed this one many times in the past under the topic of collateral damage. Remember, the move index is essentially measuring treasury bond market volatility like the VIX measures equity market volatility. Take a look at the recent chart on bond volatility. Notice, unlike future stock volatility, the move index has not yet broken its upward channel to the downside. While it does look to have peaked July 4th weekend, at the end of the second quarter, it is yet to start to make a pattern of lower highs and lower lows. Why is this important? Remember that a large number of institutional investors, like hedge funds, well, they manage money on margin. They leverage, they use borrowed money to magnify their returns. To borrow money from their prime brokers, they must post assets as collateral. 
the safest and supposedly least risky and least volatile collateral are U.S. Treasury bonds. If an investor's collateral is moving around in a volatile way with the asset they are invested in, what happens? Well, the margin clerks call and they force them to liquidate their positions down. They force them to sell. They force them to raise cash whether they want to or not. They force them to sell at the lows regardless of their convictions. We see this selling showing up as a contrary bullish position in their cash holdings. Institutional cash levels have risen to about 6.1%, up from 4% last November when the markets topped. That's the highest level since October 2001. Take a look at the chart from Merrill Lynch tracking cash levels in big institutional accounts. Yes. 6.1% doesn't sound like a lot of cash to most people. However, you have to remember that most of these institutional managers manage their performance against the S&P 500 index return. The S&P 500 index return carries no cash. It carries zero, zip, nada, nothing, never. Vanguard and BlackRock's S&P 500 index ETFs and mutual funds' sole goal is to mimic the daily performance of the S&P 500 regardless of whether that index is up in price or down, each day, every day. And the only way to do that is to be 100% invested every day, regardless of inflows or outflows. So when the markets start to reverse higher, these other big active investors carrying 6% cash will almost always lag the market overall return. Guess who doesn't like that? Marketing and sales departments who only sell investment performance not comprehensive financial planning, tax planning, or hands-on retirement planning. And guess what emotion starts to creep into these portfolio managers' feelings? Yes, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Was June 16th the bottom for 2022? Time will tell. Time measured most likely in months, not days. Most likely into September and October. But as we've tried to present since our July 1st video titled Opportunity Knocks Early, Many of the tea leaves that signal green shoots for stocks have finally started to appear after a treacherous first half of 2022. But we warn you again, straight lines higher in the market aren't likely yet. Next week, part two in our series of our second half outlook. If the ongoing market volatility is making you feel uneasy, give us a call and schedule a meeting with an Oak Harvest advisor. Our team does have insurance-based tools that don't have the volatility of public markets. However, we remind you that these investments may also have lower long-term expected returns. At Oak Harvest, we think our clients are best served by us helping them plan for their future needs instead of focusing on the past. The future in the stock markets are always uncertain, and that is why our retirement planning teams plan for your retirement needs first and your greed second. Give us a call here to speak to an advisor and let us help you craft a financial plan that helps you meet your retirement goals. Call us here at 877-896-0040 and schedule an advisor consultation. It's free. We're here to help you on your financial journey into and through your retirement years. I'm Chris Paris, and from the whole team here at Oak Harvest, have a blessed weekend. All content contained within Oak Harvest podcast expresses the views of the speaker and is for informational purposes only. It is based on information believed to be reliable when created, but any cited data, indicators, statistics, or other sources are not guaranteed. The views and opinions expressed herein may change without notice. Strategies and ideas discussed may not be right for you, and nothing in this podcast should be considered as personalized investment, 
tax or legal advice, or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Indexes such as the S&P 500 are not available for direct investment and your investment results may differ when compared to an index. Specific portfolio actions or strategies discussed will not apply to all client portfolios. Investing involves the risk of loss and past performance is not indicative of future results.